Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and does not replace your own financial, tax, legal, or financial product advice. Welcome Australia to another episode of My Millennial Property. I'm joined by John as always. And John, instead of asking how you are, I have a different question for you today just to mix it up. Go for it. John, tell me what has been the best thing that's happened to you this week? Doesn't matter how big or small. Wow. Gee, you've put me on the spot here. (laughs) You know what? HelloFresh. HelloFresh? Yes. I wasn't expecting that. Well... It annoys me that I don't contribute enough in the kitchen. So I didn't even ask Amy to do this, but um, she's taken up a HelloFresh um, subscription or I think it was just an offer that came past our door. So we thought, okay, we'll get a month worth or a week or whatever it was. And lo and behold, I've cooked the last three nights. So I'm pumped. Look out, yeah. Master Chef John. We're going to start to see some um, some tutorials on YouTube yeah. on how to cook soon. I can already see it. Well, you know what it does. Like I, I enjoy it, but it's just the thought process around what do I cook and what do I need to prepare, and I have to go to the shops. And I'm sure people listening are, are feeling my pain here. It's like it's all in one box, and all, I've got instructions, and I've just it's like an IKEA kit that I can just whip it out. But more importantly, it takes me away from the day-to-day life. I just get to, Mm. that's my sole focus for half an hour. (laughs) Can I just say that analogy of an IKEA kit is one of the best things I have heard about HelloFresh. Yeah. (laughs) What a great analogy. It's almost like you're sponsored by them or something. Yeah, well, I'm definitely not, but uh, it's been a while (laughs) since I've put together one of those, by the way. I've got friends that are handier than I am. Boy. Well, I'm glad I asked that question. It wasn't the answer I was expecting and I'm glad to hear that um, you're enjoying your cooking. Yes. I'll have to check in on that in a few weeks' yeah. time. Yeah, absolutely. Do that. Now, people who follow religiously, because there are people who do listen every single week, will have noted that I said a few episodes ago, I'm not sure how many, um, when we had a, a Q&A session that we were going to dedicate an episode or at least a large portion of an episode to a listener question from Amelia Ellen and she asked, what are some red flags with properties that you should like look out for apart from building and pest reports, which I thought was a great question because there are a lot of things to look out for and there's a lot of things that people don't even consider looking out for when they go forward for a property and it might not be until they move into it and they're like, oh gosh, we didn't really think about that part. Mm. So hopefully... The outcome of this episode today is to help you avoid some red flags um, in your property search whilst also having a balance because we don't want to be, you know, paralysed by analysing every little attribute possible because I can tell you now, you will never buy if you do that. But at a high level, 
we're going to look at some red flags, aren't we? Yeah, totally. And and um, the ever importance of having a strategy is is great. You, you know what you want. If it's an investment property, great. You need to know the yield and all of that. Um, but if it's an owner occupier, then it's it's more. Uh, detailed look at the the property and and what to look out for because you're the one going to be sleeping there, not a tenant. Most definitely. So I think if we start at a high level, to me, some obvious red flags that spring to mind and happy to discuss them um, and your opinions on how much of a red flag they actually are. Number one for me um, would be properties that back on to a train line. To me personally, that is a red flag that I would avoid because A, noise, and B, historically the data shows that those properties do not perform as well as ones that are, might be a lookalike a few streets away from the train line. What are your thoughts? No, I definitely agree with that. Whether that's owner rock or investment, I would, I would leave it alone. Uh, it's, yeah, the, the noise factor. The, the only... Well, I can't even really give an exception, but where it may not apply as much is is somewhere maybe in a regional where there's like one train every day or two days or something like that. So, but aesthetically, it just doesn't look as nice, does it? When you when you go out the back door and here's a dirty train line looking at you. Yeah, I think that's a very valid point. More than anything, yes, the noise, but also visually looking at it probably mm. not the nicest thing to be looking at in your back no, garden there's a few more options isn't there like to to yeah. yeah there's a house on every street or lots of houses on every street so it may be a cheaper option but um yeah not the best option yeah now as you just uh were talking through that i just had another thought related to um, visual red flags. This is one we actually came up against recently with a client. Um, Property was absolutely perfect, exactly what they'd asked for. But when you stood in the back garden on the sort of alfresco dining part, Mm -hmm. you could see those really large offensive power lines that you know how you have like those gullies that are cut out I don't know exactly what they are. I'm not very technical with power line terminology, but the big ones yeah. that yeah. are offensive and in your face and it was such a deterrent. And generally speaking, they're not going to move. Mm. They're, they're just too big and powerful, too much infrastructure to actually change. A lot of power lines end up going underground. Uh, the older ones that were built above ground, over time they'll generally be replaced by digging trenches underground but in those cases that the big massive ones are, are they're there to stay and uh yeah pe- people feel a bit i don't know as though they're going to catch something if they're they're standing under under them as well don't they so yeah aesthetics and a whole range of other reasons is a, is a no-go zone yeah definitely now another one and this is these are just all springing to me of red flags that have been flagged with properties I've been working on recently and I'm sure there's much more as well. But um, one recently popped up for us was flood zoning. Now, um, this is an area that's actually built on a swamp, an yep. old swamp. And the um, I looked up the – you can literally just look up the flood map online. You just type it in and it pops up with the council. The issue, obviously, most forefront of mind would be that a flood may happen. But the other part of that was the insurance premiums associated with a house in a flood zone. They are not great. 
No, they're not. So generally speaking, you'll have a, a one in 25-year flood zone and then you'll have a one in 100-year flood zone. Now, we just experienced one actually when I was away on uh, on holidays, but in, in the area on the central coast, the whole area just flooded. A- anything that was low-lying was basically flooded, even to the point where the one in 100 areas um, got reduced to one in 25 because of that, because we had one a few years ago. So things change over time. Um, climate conditions change over time as well. So be wary of that. But insurance policies are a big one. And, and a friend actually lives in a, a one in 25. And he got his insurance policy after this particular incident. And while he wasn't directly affected by the flood, Everything in his street was. He was a little bit higher up, but uh, his his premium went to nine thousand dollars a year to include flooding. Um, nine thousand so, dollars a year. That's yes, insane. It is. Yeah. So normally speaking, for those who haven't gone and taken out insurance policies, you might be looking at I don't know a thousand to twelve hundred a year for for building insurance. So which includes your flood, generally speaking. So yeah, nine times that amount. That's actually insane. Now, I assume a similar case would be true for um, bushfire-prone areas as well. Um, And obviously, bushfires that are absolutely devastating, um, they seem to be popping up more and more commonly in our very hot, hot summers here in Australia. I can only imagine that a premium in a bushfire fire prone area would be somewhat similar yeah and and the how they rank this is by a bell rating bal and and the higher the rating the higher the protection you must have against potential fire hazards so that might be double glazed windows it might be um, different structures that aren't allowed because it's more fireproof etc further away from the boundary all that sort of thing depending on where the where the bushland is um, so I know when building new, you might find that there's cheaper land in certain areas because the bell rating's higher. Um, but really what that means is the land's cheaper because we need to spend more on the build because of the bell rating being so high, right? So existing houses, uh, where people might get stuck there is they, they go to do a, a renovation or they knock down and rebuild and might be 20 years gone by and the areas change quite a lot so their bell rating might actually a lot higher than when they first purchased so that might um, shock them somewhat so if you're looking at doing something like that the first thing you would do is check with council to see uh, what the the bell rating is in your in your street and in particular your block Um, now as with flooding these aren't um, a no-go zone. They're just things we need to consider and do our homework before we purchase something. Yeah, definitely. Obviously, education is key through this process to work out what red flags are major red flags to you and to your threshold of risk um, versus ones that you know are okay that you can can live with. I think they're the two main ones related to sort of you know natural surrounds, flooding and um, fires. I don't think there's any other natural causes that really warrant too much red flag or or risk. More so on a location basis, one thing that a lot of people flag is around 
the demographic of the area they're buying into and also um, the percentage or volume of um, government-assisted housing and housing commission in that area, um, as well as sort of paired with or you know, alongside crime rates as well. People mm. can be very vigilant on those, I think. Yeah, there's, there's a whole range of things that that stems out to, such as like school zones and um, the the feel of the neighbourhood and the, the width of the streets and how it looks and the, are the cars on the front lawns and things like that. So I, I think one thing to understand with that is these sort of areas intrigue me quite a bit from an investor point of view because you can see that a lot of these areas actually regentrify over time um, especially if they're really close to major centres or really close to good schools or uh, major shopping centres, whatever it might be. So a, a good example of that is Redfern in Sydney. Now, when you drive through Redfern, you, you're still going to see a little bit of this or a lot of this, um, but it has regentrified in the last 10 years. And if you had have bought in before that regentrification took place, uh, financially you would have done extremely well um so yeah absolutely an area a, a, a focus to say well are we living here is it safe for our kids etc cetera, etc cetera. but also from a um i suppose investment opportunity it might be something that i, I would say just not to discount and and stay away from yeah, definitely. It's a very valid point. You do find that those areas change over time. I mean, so many suburbs change over time as to what they look and feel like, um, not only with the demographic of the area, but the council money that's put into the area with projects that might be completed to facelift, you know, the main shopping strip or increase, you know, the maintenance of the parks and the roads and things like that. So definitely um, you can buy into areas that might not feel like they're the best area right now. But one thing that can help inform that decision is projected council planning for that area as to what they plan to do with the money um, and what that can look like in relation to where you're buying. Now, we are going to take just a very quick break before we come back. Um, when we come back, I think we've gone through a, fa a fair few red flags, but maybe more generally um, what we, what John and I look out for when we're looking for properties. Obviously, we both um, work in the field, John more so on the investing side, myself more on the owner-oc side of things. Um, so we'll have a bit of a discussion of what that looks like. We'll be right back. If you're after personal financial advice, don't get it from a podcast. If you would like help based on your own personal situation, head over to sortyourmoneyout.com. Click get help and we'd be happy to introduce you to one of our trusted advisors. We also have a panel of trusted mortgage brokers we can connect you with to get you into your first home, an investment property purchase, or to review your current loan if you don't have a broker. Our panel of advisors, mortgage brokers, and accountants work with clients all over Australia so they can connect with you wherever you are. That's sortyourmoneyout.com and click get help. 
J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Now, John, before we get cracking into some more specifics around high level of, of, of what we're looking for in investment properties, are there any other red flags that you would avoid regardless of it being investment or owner-oc? Um, I suppose we haven't got inside the house yet, have we? We've, we've gone mm. external, the streetscape, the suburb itself, um, flood, fire, etc. So before we go inside the house, one, one thing I would look at is the soil type and yep. potential contamination. Is it is it sitting on an old mine site? Is it sitting on a... Um, I don't know, an area that's had um, some sort of contamination previously. Is it on an old tip, which a lot of um, areas are? So it's probably not spoken about a lot. And, and in mm. a lot of cases, it's it's probably okay, but it's just the checks and balances. We just understand what the soil type is. And, and you can do that with council just by contacting them and saying, well, what was this area 50 years ago? Was it... Um, was it just crown lamb? Was it a flood zone? What what was it? And, and it gives you a good feel of if you're going to buy into that area, um, what, what you're up for there. Definitely. I think that's a very valid point and one that's not spoken about often enough. Um, a lot of people sort of dismiss that and just assume it's on good soil, been there for a long time, should be fine. But uh, yeah, you'd be surprised what can come back in those results. So very valid point. Yeah. And if I can just add to that, one common one is when when you're building a house, you, your peers might go down. I don't know, four foot. I don't know. I'm not a builder, but when you're building, uh, uh, one thing that's common for families is they look at the backyard and the kids are a little bit older now. So what do they want to build? They want to build a pool. Now the pool generally goes a lot deeper than the piers that the, that the house is sitting on. So that's when you can potentially come into some other soil type issues. Yeah, definitely. You're digging a lot deeper than what's already been dug. So you never know what you might find down there. Could find some dinosaur bones or something. There could be some dinosaur bones. <laughs> on a serious note though, one other external factor I think that is a very easy one to do that you should definitely be checking in with um, is around what's being proposed to council that's currently in um, decision period or has been approved for planning around where you've just bought. For example, there's a lot of suburbs that have great land and some of that land, you know, has been bought like an old house on it, knocked down, you, you uh, build two side by side. Um, I've actually had clients not buy a particular property because council planning was approved and permits were in place for side-by-side townhouses. And the reason they didn't go forward for the property 
that neighboured it was they had a small baby and they said, we literally, we cannot deal with 12 months of construction with a little mm. one in tow. Absolutely yes. fair enough. Um, it is. Yes, it is temporary in the grand scheme of things, but if that impacts your lifestyle, then that might be a reason or a red flag that you don't go forward for a particular property. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. And, and then and that point probably comes to the topic of understanding your own uh, risk profile and, and what you can put up with and what you can't. Um, so, yeah, the noise mightn't fuss people, but, yeah, doing your research to know what's either side of you, what's behind you, uh, how busy the street is. Like you go there at night and there's no one there. If you're doing an open home at um, 5 o'clock, that may be the busiest part of the day. What's it like in midday? What's it? Uh, what's happening in the mornings? Um, and then is it coming out facing a busy street? Like are you are you buying something close to a roundabout or close to a T intersection? Things like that as well. Yeah, I think the the traffic flow and even just for example in areas where you've got a uh, maybe a single car garage for one car and the other one has to park on the street which you're fine with it's a safe street but like how many spots and how many other people are doing it at the same time and do you find yourself going around particularly in you know i mean like inner city living where you have to drive around the block a few times before you get a spot slight how, inconvenience how annoying not a deal it? breaker maybe but it's certainly an inconvenience so annoying i Growing up in a town of 300 people, it's a very annoying <laughs> to go to Melbourne or Sydney and have to drive around the block. Well, do you know I drove around the block four times on Saturday morning because my place neighbours a massive park and every literally every man and his dog decided to go to the park on Saturday morning and I could not get a spot. Um, and I walked to retrieve my car actually this morning, four days later, uh, two blocks down the wow. road when driving my partner's car instead because it's so far away. Definitely wow. a consideration. So while you're on that, <laughs> living living next to a school, so 3.30, 3 o'clock till 4 o'clock, probably nightmare So because of school parking. So mm -hmm. not, not just school kids throwing their paddle pot wrappers over the fence but uh, un understanding the noise during the week. The weekends might be okay but, yeah, understanding um, what's around you is a really important one, isn't it? Most definitely. Now, I think that's a fair bit of stuff covered externally. Now, obviously, the question was around outside of building and pests, what do we look for? But I think it's good to touch on what would be a red flag, you know, that a building and pest may or may not pick up on inside the property because when it comes to trying to change or fix or improve things in a property, obviously, there's a cost involved and that cost is a sliding scale based on how many elements are involved. What I mean by that is, you know, are we looking at knocking out walls to change an inconvenience or are we just cosmetically fixing up the property and it's not really a huge cost um, or, or a huge time constraint either around what needs to be done. One thing that springs to mind for me around potentially a red flag or a change in the property, um, not uncommon, and this comes up on building press reports, that there are moisture readings in bathrooms or in wet areas now the extent of that obviously would be best to get someone in who's qualified to give commentary on that um, but in some cases it's as simple as regrouting in other cases you actually have to rip up and re-waterproof an entire area and that mm. to me is a red flag yeah well it's a red flag 
if you're not a builder, right, and if you haven't got the trades that can come in and quickly do that, um, especially if you're interstate. Now, going back to the to the build and pest inspection, yet yeah, that's great. It's absolutely a no-brainer that you'd get that every time. But understand that the the usually the inspector is not an actively working builder. So when you mentioned before, Emily, about foundations, right, where are the mm. – uh, where are the piers situated and, and where are the weight-bearing uh, walls, right, understanding that if you take a building inspection is done, they're not going to talk about those sort of things. They're just going to talk general defects. So that's where you need a, a builder in to say, right, we can probably move, um, knock this wall out, no problem, it's not weight-bearing. Uh, this one's weight-bearing, so we won't be able to move this or if we do, it's going to cost a lot more. Um, so you can get a real good feel of what you can do with the house uh, when when you take them with you on the, that first inspection, can't you? Yeah, certainly helps. I know a lot of people who have you know family or friends who are actually qualified builders who are in it day in day out. They'll take them along as well. But good to note that there are definitely um, building inspectors who still hold you know their building qualification, but are they actively involved in um, mm. construction or reno? Renos, um, I think that's a really important element when selecting an inspector. Yeah, because they can only flag so many things, right? They can't be every trade. No, and if anyone's read a building and pest inspection report, like it, they look like my school report from year ten. Like there's a lot of issues in there, isn't there? Um, and and they're really covering off on absolutely everything, so that we can't go back on them with uh, y- you didn't pick up X, Y, and Z. Now now look what's happened. Yeah, most definitely. Another red flag to do with the property itself that you will need to be across if you plan on extending that property or as you mentioned before, maybe putting a pool in um, is around easements. Now, a building and pest inspector is not going to pick up on easements. That's not their job to do that. A conveyancer will likely highlight to you um, that there is an easement if it exists, but strongly recommend getting a hold of the title plan, which should be included in the vendor statement of the information they disclose about the property. And it may well highlight an easement. Now, an easement can have varying reasons as to why the easement exists, but the most common ones that we come across are um, to do with sewerage drainage, so like a sewerage easement um, or a stormwater drain um, that the easement might run at the rear of the property. It might be two metres inwards from the back fence line and you are not allowed to build over that easement because should the council or the water authority need access to it, and you have unfortunately built over it, it will be at your cost to have that structure removed um, and allow access for that authority get to get through. So easements are something that not I don't think the general public know about easements because it's just not a common term as such, but definitely something to be across when you're looking at a particular property um, because it could make or break your future extension plans if there's a big easement running through it. Yeah, absolutely. And and in a lot of cases, it's priced accordingly, isn't it? If it's got a, a dirty big easement running right through the middle, um, then yeah, there's not a lot you can do to it out the back. Um, you, you can build around it, but you definitely can't build over it. So just, just understanding that. Um, yeah, as you mentioned, the pool, 
the pool is now a no-go zone because you because um, you've you've got an easement there and you can't. Well, you can get it shifted actually, but it does cost a lot of money to do that. Yeah. Now, any other red flags that you'd like to add in when we're thinking about the actual property itself? Um, I think we've spoken about the general foundations and the condition of the property. So making sure that the the foundations are solid. Um, I it was interesting this week. I was chatting to a client. Uh, they're finding their own property, so I'm sort of being a sounding board around that. And they they said to me, oh, "I don't like this property. It's it's on um, it, it's on a concrete slab, which is quite common, but it's mm-hmm. got those heavy roof tiles, right? That a any 1970s, 1980s sort of house might might have those really heavy ones. Like they're a lot lighter today, but um, there has been times where the the slab has cracked because those heavy tiles have actually weighed down on the on the property over time right so oh. it's um it, it just reminded me of like things that we used to look for but I haven't really looked for them lately but um and and no one would probably think of that but it's just something okay look at the roof what's the condition in what are the gutters like but uh in in fact how big and thick are those tiles and and what sort of foundations is it on that's a good one i haven't come across that before or maybe i just haven't been aware of it but um that's a very logical one to be across i guess um i didn't even know that there was different weightings of roof tiles you know as time's gone on that's crazy yeah well it's uh, i mean you've had to have looked at a lot of properties over a lot of years to see the change emily it's showing my age but (laughs) (laughs) i think in in drier areas where there isn't as much rain there's not a lot Mm. of give so those heavy tiles can maybe, um, yeah, place a little bit more pressure than, than an area that's maybe got more rainfall. So you might not see it as much on the eastern seaboard, for example. Yeah, definitely. Now, just closing this out on a more touchy-feely note, I would say, a red flag that for homeowners, people who are looking for their own property, if it doesn't feel right then I think that's a red flag. And that's going to be a very personal, emotional thing to do with a property. And we can't quantify that for you. But I would say, generally speaking, when people go through properties and it just doesn't feel right for them, then for whatever reason that it's not right, it is what it is. And I think you should trust your gut on that personally. That's where I stand on it. Yeah. And I think we said at the start of the this, the episode that We've got owner-occupier and we've got investor. So you really need to, to feel it if you're going to live in it, don't you? You, you don't want to be disgruntled day one because it's an expensive outlay and you, you can't turn it around quickly like you can uh, a share that you've got regrets about. So, yeah, you've, you've got to be feeling it. It's a, it's a gut feel. It goes a long way, the old gut feel, doesn't it? Yep. A lot of decisions based on gut feel, which I'm more than supportive of. Mm. Um, Yeah, something to factor in, definitely. Absolutely, yeah. That's a wrap. I was just going to say that we we so appreciate um, Amelia writing in about this because some questions are probably worthy of like a quick fire question and answer. Other questions are a full episode sort of situation. Um, And we've gone pretty deep on this one today. Hopefully that helps people look out for some red flags in their property hunting. But Please, as always, make sure you write in to us, whether that be on the Facebook group and you tag John and I or send an email to the My Millennial Money site or Instagram us, whatever you like. Let us know what you'd uh, like to hear about or any questions you have for the podcast and we will be sure to collate them and answer them for you. Absolutely, we will. 
appreciate your following. Most definitely. Well, that's a wrap for now. We will be back with you next week. Until then, have a great week. Absolutely. Bye. Bye. We acknowledge the dark and young people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits, and pay respect to their elders, past and present. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast. Taking your property journey to the next level starts with education. That's why we make this podcast, but we've also created online courses to equip you with the knowledge you need to take the next steps. I've created the Solvair Online Academy, open to both first home buyers and seasoned investors, where I share my tips and experience from 20 years in the property space. And I've created the Buying Coach, built from my experience as a buyer's advocate to demystify the confusion around purchasing property, particularly for first home buyers. Follow the links in the show notes to sign up and get started today. This podcast is for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general financial advice only, which does not take into account your objectives, financial situation, or needs. Because of that, you should consider if the advice is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on the information. If you do choose to buy a financial product, read the product disclosure statement and obtain appropriate financial advice tailored to your needs. Simo Interactive, Proprietary Limited, the publisher of the podcast, is an authorized representative of Money Sherpa, Proprietary Limited, which holds financial services license 451289.